Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 205. In this episode, we're talking about trauma theologies with Dr. Karen O'Donnell. Dr. Karen O'Donnell is academic dean and lecturer in worship and human community at Westcott House at the Cambridge Theological Federation. She is the author of Broken Bodies in the Dark Womb and the co-editor of Feminist Trauma Theologies and Bearing Witness. And both of those are edited with our next week's guest, Dr. Katie Cross. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. Grace Emmett, Reverend Dr. Nathaniel Warren, and me, Dr. Madison Pierce. So Grace, Nate, what were some of the things that you um, took away from our conversation with Dr. O'Donnell? I think I found it really helpful uh, just to unpack what we mean when we're talking about trauma theologies um, or like a way of describing that. And I, what I found quite helpful in uh, Dr. O'Donnell's description of that was thinking about that along sort of two tracks. So um, trauma theologies being sort of four survivors of trauma and being a kind of means of theological justice. Um, and she talks a bit about... Um, sort of post-traumatic remaking and she kind of digs into why she uses that language rather than recovery so um look out for that um and also what it means to do theology from a place of trauma as well so thinking about that kind of dual definition so I found that really helpful just as a way of framing the whole conversation then you'll hear that that takes us in a few different directions which was fun yeah uh, one of my takeaways is that continued important reminder of the embodied nature of theology um, the theologies of lived and real experience of real people in the world and communities. Um, so it seems to me that trauma theology has a really great sense of that real life sense of theology, which um, I can I really appreciate. I was also encouraged by and surprised by the amount of um, theology and science that we ended up talking about um, in this episode between brain chemistry. Um, and uh, especially in the in the sense of how uh, we um, remake ourselves in the process of uh, just our biology, if you if you will, um, and her emphasis on uh, cultural forms of meaning making, I thought were um, really fascinating and really helpful. Yeah, um, I agree with all that's been said. But um, one of the points I could add maybe is that, Nate, you're talking about the embodied nature of trauma theologies. Um, I also really appreciated her sort of naming that a lot of trauma theologians are writing from their own kind of social location or their social, cultural, theological locations, um, and really bringing that to bear in some of their emphases in their work. So um, really just appreciated so much of our conversation with Karen and the wide um, scope of, yeah, the scientific, the cultural, the theological, um, just really rich conversation. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on X, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. With that, here's our conversation with Dr. Karen O'Donnell. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you back. Thanks for thanks for inviting me back. I've never been invited back somewhere before, so this is very cool. Well, so Karen, we are wanting to talk to you. We've had an introduction to trauma, and we've been thinking about some sources of trauma, but we really want to think about trauma theologies. So what are trauma theologies, and um, maybe how could we differentiate those from trauma theories? Oh, that's a really good question. So um Trauma theologies, uh, I usually think of trauma theologies in two ways. So firstly, they're theologies that are trying to do uh, theological justice to experiences of trauma survivors. Um, so that's might be theologies that are then um, about particular sources of trauma um, and uh, take, taking those into account and kind of um, engaging with people who have survived those form, forms of trauma. Um, but the other way that I think about 
trauma theologies is kind of recognizing that all theologies emerge out of bodies um and the only difference is how good we are at acknowledging the bodies out of which things have emerged um and if that's the case then what uh, the, one of the things i'm interested in is what kind of theology emerges out of traumatized bodies and what does that tell us then about god um i'm i'm thinking about this idea of faith seeking understanding um and if the faith that emerges comes out of uh and a traumatized body a traumatized person with trauma trauma experiences how does that shape the understanding that then emerges so they're the two ways that i think about trauma theologies um specifically um and how do you differentiate them from trauma theories is a really good question um i tend to think of trauma theories as cultural forms of meaning making and understanding what um is happening and taking place uh when one is um thinking about and um engaging with trauma um and so i would draw trauma theologies into um a kind of parallel move in the sense that that too is seeking understanding um but uh that that is uh, that has a kind of spiritual theological root. Um, and in some ways that makes it more complicated because not only do you have to account for how people behave and for how uh, individual bodies and co uh, corporate bodies behave, but you also then have these kind of assumptions about what uh, God is like, what it means to be a Christian, what a Christian life looks like, what it means to be part of the body of Christ, which actually I think makes dealing with trauma more complicated Um because, you know, the ultimate kind of the, um, uh, theodicy kinds of questions are are really rooted at the heart of um, these kinds of experiences. Although in my experience, um, trauma theologians are not particularly interested in answering or engaging with theodicies, be largely because they don't see them as being particularly uh, theologically helpful in, in any in any meaningful way. That's really helpful. Thank you. I sort of appreciate that um, almost dual track in terms of thinking about what trauma theologies are for. Um, and I wonder if we can also just talk about what do we actually mean by trauma in this context? It feels like it's a word that has really broad currency, perhaps particularly in the last few years. Um, how do you define it? How do you think it's kind of typically defined within trauma theologies? This is a really tricky question. And uh, interestingly, I have a PhD student at the moment who's working in um, a very interdisciplinary way across um, education and emergencies and uh, trauma and spirituality and trauma theologies. And he's finding that the uh, language that's permitted uh, in education and emergencies, uh, so he's particularly thinking about education in kind of refugee contexts, um, would absolutely not permit the kind of definitions of trauma that trauma theologians are quite happy to work with. And so he's really kind of wrestling with how does he build a bridge um, mm. uh, that would will allow conversation between these two different disciplines, both theoretically, but also um, eventually in person as well. Um, and that um, is really interesting to me because it's not something I wrestle with quite in quite the same way, um, primarily because although my work is interdisciplinary um it's largely um it is largely rooted in theology and therefore uh it's um, it's slightly less troublesome that said the definition of trauma is really really tricky there's a fantastic book by um lucy bonds and steph craps which um it's just a tiny little book but a really um from a kind of cultural theory perspective really unpacks that and if people are interested i would definitely suggest they go and read it um, and i'm conscious that i've talked and i'm still not giving an answer so i'm going to try and <laughs> going to try and give you an answer um i think the definition of trauma for the theologian really depends on what it is you're trying to do and who it is you're speaking to um so if you're for me i'm primarily talking to a christian or christian sympathetic audience um i'm always really clear that i'm not a psychologist um I'm, I'm i don't have any capacity to diagnose people and in that sense i'm not particularly interested in gatekeeping what trauma is um if people if people understand themselves to be traumatized then i'm happy to take that broadly speaking on face value um the definition of trauma i tend to work with tends to be focused on uh, recognizing the kind of impact of trauma so mm. so that um 
I don't, I'm not interested in defining trauma by a, a particular event, but rather the kind of effect it has on the person. So I'm usually, I usually kind of codify this in terms of language of rupture. So a rupture of a sense of self, um, which can manifest in lots of different ways. Um, a, a rupture of a sense of time. So um, uh, if I'm dealing with text, for example, I might be looking for kind of ways in which uh, past events try and press into the present through kind of nightmares and hallucinations and flashbacks tend to be very common. Um, and rupture in a sense of language and cognition. So um, an inab inability to clearly articulate what's happened or to clearly understand what's happened, um, even perhaps an inability to access memories, um, a kind of blank spots, blank spaces in, in people's um, uh recollections and experiences um so um so I, that's what i tend to go on and i'm recognizing that's not a helpful definition of trauma um but also i don't necessarily see it as my job to define trauma mm. I think to the second part of your question, how is it used in mainstream society uh badly is the answer <laughs> i would give there um and I think badly in terms of theology as well. So I think there is often a conflation between trauma and suffering, which is mm. not something that I would want to conflate the two. I, do, I don't think they're the same. Um, and I think we see that a lot in mainstream society as well. Um, you know, uh, I couldn't find a pair of jeans that fit me and it was a really traumatic shopping experience. Not my most helpful definition of trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I So I do think... In some ways, it's overused um, mm. uh, in mainstream society. That said, um, there's plenty of cultural theories of trauma as well as psychologists' work on trauma that is characterising the 20th century as a century of trauma. And that, of course, leaks into the 21st century. And that, you know, is uh, not to say that something new happened, but rather, um, you know, the impact of global warfare that isn't again new but is newly accessible in a way that um even through all kinds of media radio television newspaper digital media in the latter part of the 20th century um has a massive impact on um the access people have to trauma um mm. but also we talk more about trauma because we have more language to talk about trauma these are not new things that are happening but um people have more access to uh, resources that help them understand what their lives are looking like. So maybe mm -hmm. there's no surprise that we see more use of trauma. Some of it's bad, not all of it. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that, Karen. Really helpful and very insightful. And yeah, thank you so much. Um, I think I have a thought, like a, my question's kind of coming off, off of that. So on the one hand, defining terms, and I really appreciate it. I think there's sort of like, um, almost negative or apophatic back coming into it. Like, mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, I think, really, really great and helpful. Um, keeping that negative apophatic sense in mind, I want to ask you a follow-up with the what is trauma piece mm -hmm. in, in this particular point. So to give you some background as to um, this and then sort of my experience of it. <clears throat> so I am um, Armenian-American, come mm. from... Uh, group of people who multiple massacres, pogroms, yeah. genocides. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in May of 1915, right after the genocide began, we hear the first usage of the term uh, crimes against humanity. Mm. And mm. so my question is to the humanity piece, the sort of group, the, the group thing and the trauma of peoples and how if, uh, trauma theologies would think about not the individual person's experience yeah. um, of Trump but, uh, as a collective whole, a collective identity piece of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so speaking to that, but then a uh, second uh, question to kind of follow up from that. What would you say to the, in my case, like people who the trauma and the telling of the stories of that trauma shape a, a, a group identity? Right. Um, and so, I mean, I think that uh, we are a beautiful people apart from um, these events. But also when I meet up with another Armenian or with my family, like these are the stories that shape who we are. We, there are our experience of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, 
our experience of why we're in the U.S. as opposed to um, Lebanon or whatever. So uh, two things in defining, uh, if you can speak to the group piece, um, the uh, who we are as a people, and then um, when trauma becomes the sort of defining factor of a people or a person in their experience of the world. Yeah, thank thank you, Nathaniel. Um, I think, can I take the second one first in that um, the, the one of the things that you're looking for in terms of trauma remaking, um, I don't like using language of recovery or healing, which we can talk about if you want to, um, but um, this idea of remaking is an integration of the trauma experiences into one's identity so that it no longer sits as a kind of raw, um, uh, maybe raw is not quite the right word, but it no longer sits as a kind of repeated, rough, raw kind of reopening of a wound, but rather it is integrated. Um, and I'm no expert on the Armenian experience at all, but I wonder if part of what eventually might happen there is that there is some kind of integration into one's identity. And that certainly happens on an individual level. Um, and I can certainly see how one might um, assume or expect that that might be possible on a cultural or a communal level as well. And that the... Um, the experience of trauma then be becomes in integrated into the psyche and so is shaping and is significant and cannot be kind of erased or overlooked, but is no longer kind of rupturing in that kind of language that I was using earlier um, about trauma. So um, I think uh, I think that's how I would respond to that. I think to take the first question or the first part of this, um, Western psychology uh, has tended to engage with trauma on the individual, one person lying on the psychiatrist's couch kind of way, up until the 1970s when Dori Laub at the um, uh, University of Yale started the Holocaust Survivors Project where he started recording people and out of uh, recording um, Holocaust survivors and uh, their testimonies recognising that they were they were going to die and the stories of what had happened to them were, were, would be lost. That was his primary purpose but the kind of process of doing that revealed so much about the nature of witnessing to these testimonies and, um, and out of that work then is uh, a whole range of, of work um, in different ways. So some of it in terms of cultural theory, some of it in terms of epigenetics and the extent to which people, um, uh, trauma lives on in, in, trauma is an embodied thing. So I always want to talk about trauma as something that sits in the body. Um, and Bessel van der Kolk talks about um, uh, trauma that gets lodged in the body like a bullet in the spine. And, um, uh, you know, eventually things might kind of heal around it. So that might be that kind of integration, but it is really embodied. Um, and so, yes, there's plenty of research that demonstrates second, third, fourth, fifth generation Holocaust from uh, children from Holocaust survivors uh, have elevated levels of cortisol in their bodies for no apparent reason at all. Um, and so when we're talking about, when we're talking about trauma, um, we are talking about um, observable things in one's body, uh, which is for me, but what differentiates it from suffering. So suffering is awful, but it's a normal part of human life. Trauma is not. It literally changes the brain pattern. Uh, it changes your hormone levels. It changes how your body is reacting and what your body is doing. And so we definitely see that generation to generation. And that's in both in terms of DNA and in terms of stories told. Um, uh, there are people better qualified than me to talk about uh, cultural forms of trauma, but, but um, we we can't we certainly can't ignore it. And in fact, interestingly, um, I think it's David Carr, um, David Carr's work on the Bible and trauma uh, is really interesting as he traces a kind of trauma inheritance, particularly through the the Hebrew Bible, which is really really interesting. Uh, kind of uh, an ebb and flow of trauma experiences that are impacting on and on in the in the individual body, but also the body of the people of Israel. Yeah, so that's really 
really insightful. And you went exactly to where uh, my sort of accidental next question. Oh, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I've been really fascinated with, and um, I'm going to get this wrong. So if there's actual like scientists listening, please, please forgive me. I'm, uh, I did theology and science for a little bit, but um, so I've been fascinated by this process, epigenetic process called methylation, where an instance of trauma can actually change genes and be passed on from generation to generation. And so if that is the case, then I now experience the trauma in some real way, bodily way, as you would say, yeah. um, of the experiences my grandfather and great-grandparents. And, great yeah. and, um, and so even as I, sort of getting way too personal probably for a podcast, but mm -hmm. even as I work out with my therapist, pissed like what is going on in my own experience of the world and trauma responses mm -hmm. uh, uh even in how i parent yeah uh, being present like at least in my mind sort of being aware of of the presence of the way that my actual physical genes have changed in the process of trauma yeah. at a very yeah. very and so this does two things for me one it it connects me to others in a really, I think, intimate way. Um, but then also, and this connects back to the theology piece, is that <clears throat> at least the way that I, what I imagine theology to be is it's a very communal exercise. And so, um, again, like you mentioned, the sort of psychological piece that psychology has tended to be more individual. Mm -hmm. My approach to theology is always very communal. We do theology yeah. for people. Yeah. In that way, that the the experience of trauma and the trauma theologies they sort of connect in this communal sense, um, not just with those in whom we as theologians are writing for or preaching to or in pews, but the generations that came before. Yeah. That yeah. seems just yeah. comforting, but also horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some really interesting work to be done. If anyone's listening on like the cloud of witnesses in like, I, I'm forever coming back to that and I haven't done the work on it, but I'm really intrigued in this idea of what it means to be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, many of whom were like martyred, persecuted for their faith, you know, uh, or simply are kind of trauma survivors, trauma, uh, people that experience trauma in their lifetimes. Um, what it means to be, um, part of a body of Christ, if members of the body are traumatized, not just in this generation, but in generation upon generation, um, you know, and uh, trauma theologians are always obsessed with the Eucharist, but, you know, if you have a high theology of the Eucharist, then, um, and you're kind of participating in the body of Christ as you, you know, as you share in bread and wine, uh, what, where, where is the trauma sitting within that, if anywhere at all, and what's happening in that kind of ritual response, uh, which you can certainly read as a um, a kind of ritual response to trauma. I mean, Dirk Lang in his book um, that I can't remember the name of uh, is uh, is he's arguing exactly that. You know that the um, the Eucharist, the celebration of Holy Communion, is a repeated ritual response to a memory that the early Christian community can't access because been disrupted by time. Um, it's yeah. Um, I wish I could remember the name liturgy recalled or something like that. I will have to put it in the show notes or something. Thanks, Karen. That sort of gets us towards uh, a next question, which is something like, what are trauma theologies for? I mean, I'm curious what kind of groups them together. Um, in my understanding, it feels like it's the sort of goal of, of trauma theology seems to be this kind of shared vision. Um, but please correct me if I'm wrong. If it's something more kind of theoretical, then, then feel free to go in that direction instead. I, well, this is really interesting. Um, so, I, I mean, what, what is any theology for? Uh, it's, it, I, I understand it, um, as, as attempts to broaden our insight into who God is and how therefore we should live. Um, and so I would see trauma theology as having exactly that goal. It is an attempt for us to understand, engage with, reflect upon who God is when these things have happened to us. Um, and not just to us, but, you know, as we've been talking about generation upon generation and, and you know, throughout the biblical scriptures and, uh, you know, the kind of surrounding narratives. Um, but also, how, therefore, should we live? Um, and for me, 
I think the the purpose of the kind of trauma theological work that I'm trying to do is to um, write better theology, which is such a like unhumble thing to say, isn't it? But I, I think I'm continually frustrated by theological discourse that is abstracted from embodied contexts and um, and I, that doesn't mean that I don't think you can't do systematics or you shouldn't do systematics. You should, but systematics doesn't have to be this kind of thing that exists only in a ivory tower and pretends a neutrality around the kind of body out of which it's emerged. Um, I think the aim of the trauma theologies that, that certainly that I'm engaging with and the ones that I like best uh, are... Um, trying to write better theological ideas to broaden our theological imagination. If all theology is faith-seeking understanding, then I see my own theological discourse as my own faith-seeking out better understanding of who God is and how therefore I should live. Um, I'm not sure how specific that is to trauma theologies, um, but I certainly would see trauma theologies within um, a broader kind of subset of or contextual, constructive, pra practical, sometimes systematic. I, I'm not, I find the divisions within theological academic ways of studying really unhelpful. Um, and I think in some case, some ways, trauma theology um, resists some of those um, uh, neat boxing away of ideas into particular categories. I remember, I think, in the dark womb, you describing wanting to have a theology that is habitable and provides shelter. And hopefully mm. I'm kind of um, remembering the phrasing there correctly, uh, which has really sort of stayed with me because I thought, well, what sort of beautiful goal to have? And it feels like, um, I mean, that's true of all types of theologies, but perhaps maybe particularly true in the case of um, trauma theologies, that feels really acute as a sort of, as a goal to have. Um, I wonder if we can talk a bit more about uh, I guess not wanting to fall into the trap of categorising things maybe too much where it's good to resist that, but um, whether there are kind of key types within trauma theology and how they differ, maybe where you'd situate your work within that as well. Yeah, so um, I think if perhaps if I talk about some key trauma theologies, um, in mm. some ways the field is relatively small in the sense that it doesn't have kind of 200, 300 years behind it, um, I'd say it's probably got about 20, 25 years behind it. Um, and so um, there are lots of really good trauma theologies, but they're not necessarily really easy to categorise mm. in together. So um, I think um, we've kind of mentioned this a little bit already, but there is a, a strand within trauma theologies that um, is a very a biblical scriptural approach to engaging with trauma theology. So you've got people like um, Erica Dunbar, David Janssen, David Carr, who are reading um, either individual narratives. So um, Erica Dunbar, for example, reads the book of Esther as a narrative of um, sexual trafficking which is just a uh, and, and trauma experience, just a phenomenal reading of the Book of Esther, um, or taking kind of very broad sweeps. I think I think it's uh, David Carr that looks at basically the entire biblical text um, and reads that through a trauma lens. So reads that um, through uh, a kind of a recognition of some of these kind of symptoms of trauma that we talked about already, um, and. Sometimes I struggle with that a little bit in that um, there's a temptation to name a specific event and say that event happened and therefore the person to whom it happened or the group to whom it happened is traumatised. And I'm trying to resist that in my own work in, by focusing on experiences rather than events so that two people can go through the same thing and only one of them come out having um, been traumatised by, by the event, that it's very much about how the specific body experiences the event. So I struggle sometimes with some of the biblical work um, in that, in the same way that reading any text can have can have the same kind of impact. But um, uh, so that's that's kind of one way of it. I mean, my uh, everybody knows my favourite trauma theologian is Shelley Rambo, um, and I just find her work on Holy Saturday um, this idea that. Um, 
she has this wonderful phrase about how preachers and theologians want to rush from the cross to the resurrection and they forget mm. that there's a whole day in between and that is a day in which there is mourning and grief and there is no resolution. Um, and I find that really helpful. Um, I think one of the things that led me into doing this work myself was a sense that I had after experiencing my own um, uh experiences of reproductive loss, which I had experienced as traumatic, there was a real push for me to be well um, and to be kind of theologically and spiritually well as quickly as possible. And that was one of the things that really kind of tipped me over the edge into being very unwell and um, wanting to instinctively feeling like I wanted to resist that and finding within Rambo this language of Holy Saturday, this theology of remaining in which uh, there is darkness and there's grief and there is no sense of understanding that, that the spirit is still at work in that place. In fact, the spirit is deeply at work in that place. So I find Rambo and her kind of pneumatological um, trauma theology really, really helpful in that. Um, Serene Jones, uh, who, you know, kind of one of the very early writers, in fact, she's Shelley Rambo's PhD supervisor. Um, so very early and influential. She talks about trauma as a disordering of the theological imagination, um, mm. which is lovely language. But then she really leans very much into uh, a kind of idea of trauma that can be healed. Um, and I just don't really like the language of healing. Um, I find it um unhelpful theologically in terms of what expectations are about how God might intervene into experiences of trauma. So I, Jones is interesting because she's she was early and she's done a lot of really interesting work, but she's not necessarily where I would go for a kind of theology of trauma that helps me particularly. Um, and I've alluded to it already, but um, so it's a running joke that trauma theologians, uh, no matter where you start, you end up talking about the Eucharist. Um, <laughs> and I, I, and for, like you can resist it all you like, but ultimately the Eucharist is about uh, a body that is broken uh, it is about, it's a place where bodies and memories come together. It's around ritual and repetition, which are both characteristics of um, how trauma can impact on women's bodies and what you might be seeking and um, in that, in the um, kind of ongoing aftermath of trauma. Um, and so it's perhaps no surprise that trauma theologians often end up uh, thinking about trauma um, so uh, that happens in lots of different ways. So Dirk Lang kind of talks about um, uh, early Christian practice. Um, he's looking particularly at the Didache, as, um, which has no mention of the cross. And he says it's got no mention of the cross because the early Christians are still so traumatised that uh, they don't, hmm. they can't access the memory of the cross. Um, I don't think he's right, but I like the idea of it. Um, <laughs> Uh, Serene Jones, she has uh, she does a lot of work on the Emmaus experience um, and Jesus's um, breaking of bread that brings uh, revelation and understanding. Uh, so because she, she's interested in that disordering of the imagination. Um, Shelley Rambo doesn't talk about um, the Eucharist, but there's still time. She's, she's, still, <laughs> she's still writing. She'll get there eventually. Um, obviously, a whole load of my works around uh, around the Eucharist. I'm always really interested in um, the ways in which um, liturgical responses can be helpful for people um, mm. who uh, are trauma survivors. Um, so, yeah, kind of. Lots of people get there in the end. Um, I have a PhD <laughs> student who's like, well, I'm not writing about the Eucharist. And two years in, he's like, um, maybe I'm writing about the Eucharist. It's happening. <laughs> it's, happening. it's happening. So um, so I think, um, I think, I think what, what counts for the difference is where you take your sources of authority from. Um, so I don't tend to start my trauma theology out of biblical text, although I engage with biblical text um, sometimes as well. Um, but also who, well, how tightly you're holding onto your theologies. Um, I have like done a thorough deconstruction and come kind of, I'm coming back up the outer, uh, the other side of it. And so there's a whole load of stuff that I hold quite lightly if you look at somebody like Serene Jones, she's a deeply committed Calvinist and that absolutely colours what her theologies look like. Um, 
I'm a reasonably high Anglican. I have a pretty high theology of the Eucharist. That colours how I want to talk about the Eucharist as well. So, mm. um, so yeah, I think there's a deeply kind of confessional element within this as well that um, uh, trauma theologies tend to be quite personal. And you can mm. see that kind of written large. Dirk Lang is a Lutheran, hits books all about Luther and how if we engage with the way Luther writes, we might better understand both the Eucharist and um, uh, traumas traumas as well. Mm. That's so helpful. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have that kind of sketch of um, how different people are sort of interacting with that topic and where those variations take us. All, although all roads lead back to the Eucharist. Anyway, of course so. they do. <laughs> yes. I need it on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I have a follow-up question to something you said that just sparked my interest. Um, you sort of talking about the the Eucharist, and um, you said you, um, I don't know exactly how you phrase it, but kind of wary of the healing idea conceptually. Mm. Um, but you were talking about it in the context of the the Holy Saturday idea. Um, so can you connect? for me, what you would imagine in the context of healing, because you, you don't like that word, um, what resurrection does on Easter Sunday. Um, and resurrection what? maybe in the context of Eucharist, but I think you can So I don't usually want to frame the Eucharist around the passion and death and resurrection. I would, I would opt for a more incarnational theology mm. of the Eucharist so that the Eucharist is um includes when jesus says do this in remembrance of me that includes the death and resurrection but he says it on the thursday night before all of that has happened and so when he says do this in remembrance of me for me that is remembrance of what his ministry looks like so Jesus's table practices repeatedly throughout his lifetime where he eats with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. And uh, he performs miracles of abundance and generativity and feeds and nourishes people, um, of which the death and resurrection are an important part, but are only one part of what Jesus's life and the incarnation is all about. I recently heard Kelly Brown Douglas say, well, she was talking about the creed and how when we say the Nicene Creed, um, we basically skip from Jesus is born to and then he dies like in the next line and um, she wanted to kind of provoke or challenge the idea that um, Jesus is only born to die. Um, mm. Of course, Jesus's death and resurrection are really theologically significant, but I would want to position the Eucharist as not necessarily being only about that. Um, and that's what my PhD was about. Um, so you can read Broken Bodies if you want to read more about that. Um, so I, uh, it, how do we link that to healing? Well, uh, so for me, that would then link much more into Jesus's ministry rather than this kind of, um, so this kind of ongoing ministry of healing, this um uh, this sense that he doesn't just kind of click his fingers when he turns 30 and everybody in the kind of radius is healed, um, which is facetious, but uh, I think that's how sometimes people can look at the resurrection. So when we say uh, people tend to, certain types of Christians want to kind of claim this um, victory in Jesus's resurrection. And there is a victory in Jesus's resurrection, but it's an eschatological one. And it's one that I would want to very strongly say we see glimpses of now, but not in fullness yet. The reason I resist healing as a term is partially because the work that I've done with trauma survivors, uh, they resist the language of healing and also the language of recovery because it's kind of backwards looking. But healing um, has these kind of unrealistic expectations as to what has happened. Um, there is no after with trauma, it's always there. So in the same way that um, an alcoholic might have not touched a drop for 30 years, but still call themselves an alcoholic. So a trauma survivor is always a trauma survivor. Um, yeah, whereas I think that some of the ways in which theologians talk about the resurrection aren't necessarily always helpful in then kind of translating into thinking about mm. trauma theology. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Um, 
just a, if I can, just a real quick follow up. Um, that the uh, um, the way that <clears throat> so as an Episcopal priest, we're in communion. Um, yeah, absolutely. Kind um, of the way that we <laughs> the way that we should, or the way the tradition has talked about the Eucharistic feast is it's a little Easter. Mm-hmm. So these are little experiences of well, the the eschaton, perhaps. Um, so is there in that you're saying like the resurrection is for the eschaton? Is there moments of respite? Could we call it respite on Sunday when we partake? Um, that it's not it's not healing because I, I your description of why the term is problematic is seems right on. So what happens in those in those little easters? Um, on Sunday mornings when we partake in the body and blood of Christ? Um, I think that depends on the trauma survivor, but okay. there is survival in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the language that um, instead of recovery or healing, I often use remaking. Um, and I think that lends itself really nicely into what happens in the Eucharist. If we think of, um, you know, a kind of a body that is scattered, that gets gathered together and is remade into one thing in the experience of the Sunday morning. Um, or um, I happen to live in a theological college where our Eucharist is Thursday night, so Thursday evenings. Um, so there's something... Um, in which each at each celebration the body of Christ is made and remade again, um, dif- differently and 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 um, feels different, looks different, um, but is still there's a sense of continuity within that. So, I like that language of remaking. Um, I think uh, Shelley Rambo, um, Katie Cross, myself have all written about um, survival as. Uh, uh, alternative language that can be used within that and not to be diminished in the sense that um, people think of it as the bare minimum, but actually survival can be the absolute best. Um, And and how do we survive except that uh, we, we continue to move forward towards that eschatological hope. Um, Hope again is, tricky to deal with, particularly as a trauma survivor, but that doesn't diminish the fact that there is an eschaton. There is a a sense in which the Eucharist is a foretaste of a banquet in which there will be no more pain and suffering and sadness and tears. And so there is both um, present and future hope within that. Thanks, Karen. That makes a lot of sense. And um, talking about this in terms of remaking rather than healing also really aligns with some of the science behind Mm. uh, what happens to our bodies when we experience trauma. And as we process that trauma, you know, it's not about um, us going back, as you said, to like square one. But with neuroplasticity, our brains are able to forge new paths Mm. And what is really beautiful, and I'm, you know, I'd love to hear you say more because you're certainly the expert on this. Um, our brains are able to take what we've learned and experienced, and to allow us to almost be like new and improved. And I, I say that in like a very light way because, of course, don't want to imply that the trauma was for our better. Yeah. But our our brains can allow the trauma to um, have this effect um, or our processing of the trauma allows our brains to change in ways that could actually be for the better. So yeah, yeah please reframe some of that if it's no. unhelpful. But <laughs> Well, I think, um, I think it's important to note that, that um, there's a change happening in our bodies, whether we like it or not. Um, Mm. And when one positively engages with the processing of one's trauma experiences, then um, yes, I think, uh, you know, there is a a well-documented phenomenon of post-traumatic spiritual growth where um, people are able to recognize that uh, there is no value in trauma um, and yet they have... um, having processed that experience um, often found a deeper relationship with God, a deeper sense of spirituality uh, at, mm-hmm. in, in the, in the ongoing afterness of that. Um, however, we should not assume that that's where every trauma survivor will end up. They won't. Um, 
for many trauma survivors, the process of meaning making and meaning finding and um, uh, kind of embodied practice is going to be a lifelong one. And we shouldn't, uh, I'm, I'm always uh, anxious about the idea that we might talk positively about what some trauma survivors are able to do in a way mm-hmm. that creates unhelpful expectations around what all trauma yeah. survivors might be able to do. But yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the brain scans that are done, the MRI scans and, um, uh, or, you know, I'm in no way, you can tell by the kind of way I'm searching for language, I'm in no way a kind of medical expert on this. But I know that when you look at before and after, before trauma, after trauma, or after a trauma experience and then after therapy, you can see physical changes yeah. in the brain as to how, yeah. uh, you know, how this has um, impacted us. And so, like, if nothing else, that's what I want people to take away from, from this is like, that's how trauma is not the same as suffering. Um, mm-hmm. In that suffering doesn't, is not changing your brain patterns. It's not changing your genetics. It's not uh, impacting on your um, hormonal levels and kind of ongoing ways. Um and and that's that's why trauma is different. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I mean, it sort of gets towards one of the misconceptions and popular discussions of trauma, which it, you know often trauma survivors um, carry a stigma with them. You know, you do X because you're traumatized. Yeah, you do Y because blah blah blah. I mean, so it's treated as like a liability in a lot of contexts. But um, and this is why you know I feel inclined to talk about some of the ways that this can move in a positive direction. Yeah. Because what our bodies are able to do when we process, when we have a community that that allows us Absolutely. to do that, and we have good resources. Um, it actually becomes an asset. Mm-hmm. You know, our our bodies are conditioned to be able to see, to alert us, to hear, you know, all these different kind of sensory things in in new ways. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I love what you're saying. I appreciate some of that helpful um, kind of nuances to, to um, some of how I was framing that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's really, um, it's just really interesting. And there is, I think, as you kind of you nuance what you were saying there around, you know, in a community with good resources. It's important to recognize that there's a real privilege to healing from uh, healing. Yeah. Bad use of terms there, Karen. There's a real privilege to uh, remaking oneself after trauma or during yeah. trauma. Um, that uh, And when, when we encounter people who have not done the kind of remaking that we want them to do, it's important to recognize that there are socioeconomic and spiritual yeah kind of deficits that are to blame for that structural things that are are to blame for that rather than one person's inability to um do the work for themselves yeah absolutely yeah thanks karen um uh what else are you kind of working on um currently in this work world of trauma theologies um so i'm currently working on a um a more popular kind of book. So kind of somewhere in between academy and church, I guess, um, and the kind of broader world um, that's called um, Survival, Radical Spiritual Practices for Trauma Survivors. And and in the book, I'm, what I'm trying to do is um, uh, develop uh, a set of practices that are kind of, they're radical in the sense that they are uh, not things as Christians one might expect to be the first ports of call. So, uh, for example, I have a practice of anger. Um, and these are kind of like, um, rather than um, putting our expectations of behavior onto trauma survivors, what I'm trying to do in this is to um draw in um, psychology, cultural theories of trauma, um, some stuff from the Bible, some stuff from theology, in order to um, explore uh, spiritual practices that will be helpful for trauma survivors, but aren't necessarily things that we would automatically kind of think of. So I have a practice of anger. I have a practice of unforgiveness. Um, uh, So I was particularly interested in in unforgiveness because uh, there's a lot of uh, people who say, oh, you know, I went to tell my priest what happened to me. And the first thing he said was, have you forgiven your husband for beating you for 30 years or whatever it was? I don't mean to make light of domestic violence there, but the, the, the Christians panic and ask for forgiveness really, really quickly. Um, and so what I wanted to do was unpack um, 
this idea that if we're unforgiving, it's somehow bad for us. And it turns out psychologically, that's not true at all. And so how then do we make sense of that with some of the language in the biblical texts around unforgiveness and what that does to us? Um, and so I developed... Um, I kind of did a whole load of research on this and then developed a practice uh, that's borrowing from our um, Jewish brothers and sisters of a practice of kind of sitting shiver in unforgiveness um, and practicing being unforgiving consciously with the recognition that that will do some trauma survivors a lot of good. Um, but they might not need to do it forever. And so the kind of end of the book is um, uh, everything for a season. And that there might be then ways of moving on from some of these practices, but not from all of them. So um, I'm currently writing a chapter on a practice of eating good food, recognizing that um, caring for oneself um, and enjoying what one is able to put into one's body can be really difficult for trauma survivors. And um, but also one can be very isolated as a trauma survivor. And so the practice that I'm kind of developing, I've uh, been using Lisa Isherwood's work on Fat Jesus and the um, a kind of incarnation that is full of genuine abundance and fleshiness and um, that that is something to be celebrated. Uh, the practice is really simple, is that you might eat a food you enjoy with somebody you love. And so that might be a cheese toasty with your friend, or it might be, you know, a nine course meal with your lover. It could be, it could be anything. Um, but that that too is a spiritual practice that brings us closer to God. So I'm, I'm partially trying to kind of, um, over the years, lots of people have said, well, this is all great. These are the kind of things you've written are really great, Karen, but what do I do? And so I'm trying to address a little bit of that of like, well, here's some things I think you might be able to do that might be both good for you as a trauma survivor, but also as somebody who might have a faith and is trying to mm. uh, do that kind of faith seeking understanding job. Uh, as you work through your trauma. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. Um, I'm aiming to have it finished by Easter 2024 wow. and um, it will be out later next year. I imagine 2024. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, can that, I can imagine that the like a church would be an incredible context mm -hmm. to bring that in with a number of different people from different Yeah, places. Yeah. And so I imagine it as the kind of it's the kind of thing that you could pick up and kind of read cover to cover, but also that you might dip into things. Mm. Um, each each chapter includes an embodied practice. So um, I have a, an angry rosary practice um, with uh, meditations on texts of anger within the within the Bible, rather than the kind of um, traditional texts that I use. Um, uh, I have a practice of pleasure and masturbation as a good thing that might bring you closer to God. So I'm looking forward to the ways in which people respond to that chapter. Um, and so I have this chapter on food to, to write. And then the last chapter is on rest as a spiritual practice that might be both restorative and um, bring us into closer relationship with God. Um, trying to take into account of psychology, theology and the embodied nature of trauma in, in each chapter. Wow. Wonderful, Karen. I can't wait to read it. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such an interesting conversation and really appreciate your work. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed uh, our conversation. Um, I've always got so much to say about trauma. <laughs>